Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Forever. Dog. This episode of the Need to Fail is brought to you by Oingo Boingo. You know Oingo Boingo, that crazy 80s band with hits like Weird Science and Dead Man's Party. Did you know it was founded by Danny Elfman? Yeah, that Danny Elfman, the composer for Batman and Edward Scissorhands and the Spider-Mans and Goodwill Hunting and Milk and Big Fish and Scrooge and Beetlejuice and Back to School. That Danny Elfman, Emmy-winning, Grammy-winning Danny Elfman, the Danny Elfman who composed that goddamn Simpsons theme song. That Danny Elfman founded fucking Oingo Boingo. Damn, Oingo Boingo. Not a lot of hits, led by an absolute master. Hey, hey, ho, ho, this podcast has got to go. Welcome back to The Need to Fail. My name is Don Finelli. I'm still barely running this thing. Uh, We have turned a corner, and we are now in our final six episodes. I am following up with uh, six of my previous guests from back in 2013, over seven years ago. Uh, First up is my boy, Benjamin Apple. But before we get to it, I mentioned it before. I'll mention it again. We got some farewell merch up on T Public. Uh, one Mahalo Your Dreams design. That's it. And uh, for the next six weeks, everything will be on sale. T-shirts, stickers, phone cases, masks. Uh, you can go to T Public, look up the Need to Fail or Mahalo Your Dreams. Uh, I'll pop it up in uh, some links on my uh, Twitter and Instagram if you want to check that out. Uh, so, uh, yeah, if you want some shit, go get it, guys. So over seven years ago, I believe it was my second ever podcast episode uh, of The Need to Fail, and it was with my friend Benjamin Apple. Uh, he was working at Fallon at the time. He was a UCB stalwart, uh, although go back and listen. It took him a hot second to get onto any UCB house teams. Uh, he was a beloved performer, kind of one of the leaders, I'd say, in terms of commitment and uh, consistency in our UCB generation. Uh, not only performed a bunch of improv and sketch, but he always had his own project going on, either web or online talk show. So he's doing some cool shit. Uh, but we performed a bunch together. I always looked up to him, still do. Uh, it was really great to connect with him again because we never talked about how, like a year after we initially chatted, uh, he got he was not renewed at Fallon. 
uh, he he talks about the very sketch that got him to Fallon in our first conversation and how you know not getting onto Harold Knight uh, kind of motivated him to get to that point. But now we talk about that very sketch and how it did not go over well on national TV. So it's kind of cool listening to Benjamin reflect on his time at Fallon. Uh, we talk about what he did immediately after being let go, how that shaped him. Uh, and now he's working in commercials behind the scenes. He's writing and punching up copy. Uh, if you haven't checked out some of his viral work, I implore you to check out Sad Full House on his YouTube channel. Uh, his Sad Full House web vids, I think, have gotten over like 9 million views collectively. Way to go, Ben Apple. Now, I'll say this episode was technically a, a goddamn nightmare for me. There were uh, delays in the software I was using online. My, my internet was so bad. We were disconnected a bunch. There was a raging storm at one point that blew out my Wi-Fi completely. Uh, so a lot of maneuvering, uh, apologies if there's sound issues or weird cuts and all that shit. I think I smoothed this shit out enough, but, uh, Hey, I'm over this editing shit. I'll tell you that. All right, let's get to it. Here he is. It's round two. It's the follow-up with my friend, Benjamin Apple. Do you know when the last time we chatted when the uh, with this thing? Do you know how? Do you know when we did the need to fail or no? The first episode. Yeah, the fr- our I first episode. It was yeah. in New York. It must have been. So it must have been yeah. over five years ago. It was seven over seven years ago. Are man. you serious? Yeah, That's isn't that crazy? Up. And you, it was such a great episode. Um, I was revisiting it. And we talked a lot about like acceptance. You kind of talked about like the improv journey, not getting onto Harold mm-hmm. Knight, but kind of going, it kind of brought you into writing. It brought you to Onassis. That brought you to Jimmy yeah. Fallon. You know what I mean? And you talked about this yeah. like sketch that you thought was really funny that no one wanted to put up. And you kind of kept at it every month. And that is the sketch that got you to Fallon. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's a true story. <laughs> that'd be really funny if it wasn't <laughs> if i was like i don't know where any of this is coming from i, Dude, I made all about. that shit up i made all that shit up. uh no that's kind of it was it was great it was great to hear that you, you know it was great to hear that stuff where you were like there was those moments when you were kind of kicked in the balls with like the ucb system which you were putting so much effort and uh mm-hmm. time into and you were you were looked up to by everyone around our our generation loved you and Oh, and thanks, was rooting for you so much and and to not see it happen was kind of killer for all of us but it pushed you in this direction i don't know if you think back to that time i don't know in those seven years what your thoughts on everything i know I, we didn't talk about you know you were in you were just starting to write for fallon i think at that point i think we i think that we interviewed right after i left fallon i'm not sure oh really I don't, sure no, no. I, I think I think you were right. I think you were in the middle of writing. For okay, it, okay. I, th- I think I think the year before you had done the uh, showcase. I think it was like something like that. Okay, that it makes pretty sense. close. So, yeah. so what you so what we must not have been able to cover in that first episode was the fact that I uh, was let go from Fallon after four or rather five. Um, whatever they call them, like contract periods. They, yeah. Right. So right. in, in late night, you have to get renewed every 13 weeks. Um, yeah. It's like a cycle like that. Yeah. And like a lot of people are brought in and, and just not renewed at all because it turns out it wasn't a good fit. And then yeah. the idea is once you get renewed a couple times, you know, you, you start to get a feel for the fact that you're going to be there for a while. Yeah. And I, 
I never really got that. I like mm. I got renewed a couple times, but I was like still struggling, like mm. really struggling to get bits on the show. Mm. Um, and there were a bunch of really funny people there, and they, you know, everybody's, you know, pretty chill and supportive. Like I just couldn't couldn't crack the code. Yes, exactly. I mm. couldn't summon the the voice that that was needed for the show. Um, and basically, when the head writer eventually called me into his office, let me know that they weren't going to renew me again. You know, he like gave it to me straight, which is we can't have people in the room that are not firing on all cylinders, like batting a thousand, because right. the the nature of the beast is you can only have so many people uh, on staff, and you want to find people who are consistently hitting dingers. Yeah, and yeah, because because why wouldn't you? Why yeah, sure. Why would you? Yes. Why would you have someone around who's just like a fun guy or whatever, or like someone that you happen to have yeah. hobbies in common with? What you want is to knock the show out of the park every night and win yeah. Emmys and shit. So they're looking for consistency because yeah. it's uh, it, it feels like it would be a deterrent if it was a system that was kind of like you can't fail. But it's like if it's a system where it's like, oh, go take big swings, but if you keep striking out, like we're gonna have to bench you. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And I really wanted, you know, I I feel comfortable saying that I was pretty disappointed to find out that that was the case like yeah. i when i got hired i had a fantasy that i was going to get hired to a writer's room that was like very much my style mm -hmm. and up my alley and mm -hmm. like i was thinking of like you know early zeros conan mm -hmm. where it's like right weird weird shit oh yeah um the stuff that i got hired off of was like, weird stuff in my packet <laughs> was fucking weird and dark and <laughs> and bizarre and absurd yeah. It was not stuff, you know, designed to put middle America to yeah. to sleep at, at 11 o'clock. Um, <laughs> the sketch that you performed at the the showcase was we discussed yeah, it a little yeah. bit. Something about putting, you know, uh, human heads on pigs bodies. That's weird. That's funny. Yeah. 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 Thank you. We tried um, doing that sketch on Fallon. And it really? absolutely, it absolutely <laughs> bombed. <laughs> it was a... Oh, that's amazing. It was such a dead audience. It was a real <sighs> experience to be in the studio watching, watching. I mean, I was in the sketch. I, I, <sighs> inter I played the person who was like introducing, it uh -huh. was Jimmy and Jason Schwartzman. Wow. Um, so Jimmy was the it, scientist? The, the or no? They were, here's the thing. <laughs> They wanted to find it a way he could do it with a guest, so uh, he split up the line, split up the lines, and had it so that he and Jason Schwartzman were like a duo. That's interesting. Um, do you think that split kind of screwed it up? Like, do you think it screwed up the rhythm I, of the sketch? Yes, it mm -hmm. did. Uh -huh. It absolutely <laughs> did. And and also, <laughs> I made a huge mistake in the producing of the sketch. Wow. Where when I was planning it out with the art director yeah. i did not understand <laughs> the just like the geometry of of like whatever graph or you know drawing we were looking at yeah i wanted the camera to to show um both the scientific present presenter like the researchers yeah and the and the panel of experts who are listening to the presentation because i always felt thought that it's very important to see that they are taking it very seriously right and that and that they are laser focused and yes. that they're a bunch of you know 
stuff stuffy old like board mm-hmm. of directors or whatever. Yes. So that you'd have this contrast. And yes. I, I fucked it up. And when when they got to the point where they were actually constructing the set, I was like, wait, where's the camera going to be? Uh-huh. And they were like, well, here, of course. And uh-huh. I was like, well, we're not going to be able to see their faces. <laughs> and the art director was like, yeah, of course we won't be able to see their faces. Right. And I was, oh, I was just kicking myself. And yeah. it was too late. Yeah. It was like the day, the day of the show. And I was like, oh, that's it. That's one more thing. And, you know, like you never know exactly what it is when a sketch doesn't go well. Right. You just you just know things that you wish you had had the power to change just in case that would yeah. have made it go better. Yeah. yeah. Um, you can't you can't guarantee it. But it did go really, really poorly. <laughs> and this and is the sketch so, that got you hired. <laughs> It was it was not only the sketch that got me hired. They were such big fans of the sketch that they encouraged me to do right. it on the show. Jimmy and his one of his producers, Mike Shoemaker, were like, that sketch yeah. was so much fun. We got to find a way to do it on the show. Yeah. And when we finally yeah. did, it it absolutely failed. And I and it it didn't fail in the in a way where it felt like it was going to be okay to admit that it had failed. Yeah. Um, it didn't fail like so spectacularly. That that we could all laugh about it and be like, oh my god, they did not like that, did they? Yeah. Instead, it failed in a way where we were just all genuinely disappointed <laughs> and just tried to make it sound like it went better than it did. <laughs> it was uh, it was fine. I mean, I, I I didn't get shot or anything terrible, right, right. but um, but it was a bummer. And and I will say that most of the sketches I wrote it went went something along those lines. Wow. Uh, I wrote another sketch where this guy was su- supposed to be a uh, a musician. Uh-huh. Um, and he's supposed to be like an up, up and coming star. And he's going to come on the show and like um, kind of give Jimmy and the and the audience a sneak peek of like um, someone who's going to be big eventually. It's called Tomorrow Stars Today. Uh-huh. Um, and the bit was that in all of his songs, all of his songs are about a different time he heard the song Smash Mouth, uh, All-Star by Smash Mouth, <laughs> playing on the radio. So all of his songs segue into All-Star by Smash Mouth. He's like, it, does that make sense? He'll be like, and then the the radio was playing a song, and it went, hey, now, you're an all-star. He like keeps singing the song, and Jimmy keeps telling him, we don't have the rights to that song, you can't play it. The, the guy went off script and started improvising. Oh, wow. And it ended up being like 10 minutes long. Oh. It was like a 10 minute long, um, totally like disjointed. Like it, 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 it's like everything I tried at, at Fallon, like went off the rails <laughs> somehow. Um, anyway, th- that was, it was, it was a real learning experience. I was incredibly lucky to have it. Yeah. I, I learned a lot. I have, you know, it, it's been great to have on the resume. People love seeing, you know, Fallon on the resume, especially if it's for anything that's supposed to be like positive or fun. Sure, isn't it crazy that um, a sketch can be like that fickle? It's like kind of beautiful. Like if you just change a couple things in a sketch, like they don't work as well as they're supposed to. It's all about timing. Yeah. It's all about like rhythm. You take some of that song out. You know, you take some of that rhythm yeah. out. Change up the tune. It's kind of like throwing a different baseline on a on a song where you're like that. There's something off about this. Yeah, yeah, it makes a big, big difference, or at least it can. And um, I remember, like, I remember for the the showcase where I was going to perform the sketch. I remember thinking that 
either my first line would get a big, big laugh and, and the rest of the sketch would go great. Mm-hmm. Or, or my first line would not get a big laugh and the rest of the sketch would, would bomb. Right. Um, I, I, I just remember feeling very, I was very scared, but I was also very confident that that was the case. Yeah. Um, and then when the first line did get a big laugh, I thought, okay, now this, this is mine to not fuck up. Yeah. I just have to do the rest of the sketch. Yeah. They like the idea. Yeah. The, the, the delivery is working. I, all I have to do is just not drop the ball for the next <laughs> like five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> um, <clears throat> and then when we did it live, I mean, I'm, or rather when we did it um, on Fallon, yeah. I remember thinking the same thing, like thinking if that first line gets a big laugh, it's going to go well. And it didn't. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so there's that. <laughs> what was your, did you feel kind of like, oh shit, what do I do now? Or when, when, when that was it, or was there some relief in that? Was it fear? Um, from, do you mean from that sketch or when Fallon overall ended you know that's such a great question i meant when fallon ended but i'm guessing it yeah. does apply to like when that sketch <laughs> that um, sketch as well I'm, I'm sure was that one of your first sketches that you're throwing out there um it was it was not okay, no okay. and i it, you know that was that that the only reason that really stands out is is because it was the same sketch that i got on the show with yeah, um yeah. but other than that you know and i did have a lot of stuff that did get on the show Mm -hmm. and I like co-produced some stuff that went really well. Mm -hmm. Um, but, but yeah, after it Mm -hmm. and my man, my manager at the time who I've since, uh, stopped working with my manager at the time had told me, you know, this first job is the hardest to get. And then after that, once you have that experience under your belt, people come, you know, bang down your door to to work on the next thing. Right. And that did not happen (laughs) at all. At Uh all. Uh huh. I, I thought I was going to, I thought after the, my last day at Fallon, I was going to wake up to like fruit baskets on my doorstep <laughs> and be like, we all want you, Benjamin. Come, uh-huh. right. Please come right. work for us. Right. Um, obviously, that just doesn't happen. And I was really, you know, I was really, I was, I, I, I had an oversight, an outsized reaction to being let go from Fallon. I was really I was really beating myself up over it. Felt like, oh my god, I, I, you know, comedy is supposed to be my life, and I did everything to get this job, and I couldn't keep it. I couldn't, you know, I couldn't parlay it into the next success, right? Um, and and just like keep a combo hit of constant um, hits coming, mm-hmm. which is what we all want. We don't want, you know. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped. The scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX is clipped. Now streaming only on Hulu. as you well know, uh, and decided to build a a podcast around, um, (laughs) we, we, this instinct is like that failing is very, very bad. Mm -hmm. And there's, there's shame associated with it. I mean, when I was at Fallon, I told my whole family, like my whole family told everybody, like when I went to, when I went to visit my papa down in like (laughs) a, uh, 
a retirement home <laughs> in bumfuck Arkansas. <laughs> He, I mean, he was getting the details wrong. He was yeah. telling, he was telling them that I was like writing for Johnny Carson or some shit. He, but he was telling them that I was like writing for late night and they knew what it meant. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it, it was something tangible that my family could brag about and be like, yes. he's doing it. He's really making it. Yeah. And then when I visited my papa again and was no longer working there, I just didn't tell him. Um, yeah. yeah. I just let him continue to tell <laughs> A bunch of ninety-year-old people that that I had a job I didn't because I was like I don't know how to explain this shit to him. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's like family only understands like SNL or like the people that are the things that have been on the longest that are the most yeah. consistent. That's all they can. They go like, oh yeah, yeah. you were on Entertainment Tonight. You yeah. know, like shit yeah. like, that. like oh, <laughs> that's the thing. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. If, yeah. if it didn't and exist in nineteen eighty-five, it doesn't count. Yeah, right. <laughs> So you were beating yourself up a lot and, and, and it, and things just didn't yeah. happen right away, which I think is, I think it's just more of a reality than we think. Like we think we get the yeah. thing. And I, I always say, we look at the outliers. Like there are people that kind of get something maybe young and parlay that into things quickly and they, their momentum builds much faster. But man, do I hear stories sure. of really talented writers and actors where it's like, Oh, I didn't work for a year. I didn't yeah. work for a year and a half. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, Especially coming from a system like UCB mm-hmm. that was kind of considered to be like a, um, you know, like a, a feeder for those types of shows. And, you know, you're like you're in the farm leagues and, the, and yep. you're like waiting to get called up to the majors. And that's how it really feels if you yep. are, you know, lucky enough to, to get cast or staffed on something. You feel like, well, it's been it's been nice uh, mm-hmm. down in the in the slums with y'all, but uh, <laughs> I'll be here. I'll be here waiting for you once you arrive, and I'll yeah. do my best. But uh, yeah. no more for me. <laughs> um, and when that didn't happen, I felt oh, I was so embarrassed. I was embarrassed. I was literally just like embarrassed to show up at UCB. I was embarrassed mm-hmm. to, literally to show my face because I was afraid people people would be like. Yo, how's Fallon going? I have to like yeah. explain the whole thing about how it, sure about how it you know fell apart on me, and or at least I, that's how I felt I was going to have to. Not not that anybody actually cares. Obviously, you're like it's the spotlight effect where you feel like everyone is watching you, whether yeah. you're succeeding or failing. So, did you do what you did last time? Like when you didn't like get onto Harold Knights, you were like, oh, I made my own shit, or were was it a situation where you were like, Very oh, I'm going to get so. something else? Okay, cool. So you kind of you stuck to the the Benjamin Apple method. I, I, <laughs> sure. I basically well, I started a YouTube channel and I decided to make a video every day. Wow. Um, every weekday. So when I uh, this is about three four months after I got let go of Fallon, I was feeling really in my head. I felt like the next thing I did had to be really big and, and, you know, kind of similar in magnitude. And I started realizing like, that's not going to happen. Nothing big is waiting for me. This was kind of a once in a lifetime opportunity. Mm-hmm. The next opportunity is not going to look like this. I don't know what the next opportunity is going to look like. Cause they're all once in a lifetime opportunities. That's yeah. What right, opportunities right. That's what opportunities are. Um, so I said, well, all I need to, what I need, what I know that I need to do is to get out of my head and get to the point where I feel comfortable actually making things again. Yeah. So the YouTube channel forced me to do that. And at first 
I didn't tell anybody about it. I didn't promote it to any of my friends or on social media because I didn't want anybody to, to watch it and tell me that it was shit. Yeah. And I'd go kill myself. <laughs> <laughs> um, and at first I took it kind of seriously. I would like write several scripts and batch shoot them and actually create these like little mini, mini sketches. Yeah. Um, but because I was really sticking to making myself make upload a video every single weekday, um, that quickly became too much work. Mm, and right. then, and, and so I had to start being more, um, just like looser with it and more creative with it. Um, and did things that, you know, didn't involve me being on, on camera. I started remaking, like remixing other stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and oh, like nothing I've had has been, had amazing success except for like these two, um, things I did, I, I made a video that was like a, a, a Christmas Yule log, but it's made with the footage from Return of the Jedi where Luke burns Vader's corpse. Um, and it's called Darth Vader Yule Log Five Hours because those, all those videos are actually that long. Yeah. I made it actually that long. Yeah. Um, it got, this is like, th- you know, five, six years ago or so, but it got, it went really viral one Christmas. Um, and Mark, Mark Hamill now tweets it out every Christmas. Oh, that's awesome. Um, that's so cool. And there's a, another thing I did called Sad Full House. That, um, oh, the best, man. Oh, Jesus. Oh, oh you, it's the best. <laughs> Those were fun and the easiest thing to make in my life. Um, for listeners, it's just it's the opening titles to Full House, except it says Sad Full House. Mm-hmm. And then it only plays the, the saddest moment of an episode. Because I realized that every moment, every episode of Sadful House has a moment where the sad music comes in and someone says really hurtful, nasty things. Yeah. Or or just expresses that they have no will left to live anymore. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then after 60 seconds or so, everything gets better. Um, And so Sadful House is a show where instead of everything gets better, just cuts to the closing credits and that's it. So I did, I did those and a bunch of others, like literally dozens. My my yeah. YouTube thing probably had like six hundred videos now, um, but it got me out of my head yeah. and made made me feel confident about my ideas again. Yeah, um, and it also it actually ended up resulting in some work. Like this guy from there the LA go. Times found my channel and wrote it up and other people have come across it too. And I never expected that to happen. I really thought it would just be kind of a sandbox. Yeah. When you, you were, when you were like, Oh, Fallon, did you want to quit at that point? Or were you like, I don't know what else to do. I have to kind of keep going with this thing. And that led you to kind of create your own shit. You know what I mean? Cause there's that, that there's that point where it's like, Oh, you, you started creating your own shit again. That's what's always worked for you. Mm-hmm. It happened again, but there is that like, point in time when you are like oh you think maybe things are going to happen they don't are you like oh i'm done or i don't want to do this anymore i never thought that i was done in the sense that i wasn't going to try anymore i just didn't know what to do yeah i just yeah. didn't know because i had when i when i went to fallon i left the the mod team and the herald team that i was on at ucb because it was like you know a really demanding job and then the job itself, because it was so demanding, it was like at least 50 hours a week in the office and then taking home lots of work as well Yeah, um, every night, every night and on the weekends. Um, so it kind of runs your life. And then when you don't have it, it's a big loss. You're sure. like, you're used to not just the, 
you know, the role and the money and, and stuff like this, but also just, these are the people that you see every day now yeah. and, and have been for a year. Um, so to lose that job and to not have, you know, an improv or a sketch team to fall back on and not know what was coming up, what was, you know, like coming down the pike, I just felt really directionless. Like I wanted to keep working. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, totally. You just, you, you know, you don't know what the fuck it. to do. You don't know the next step. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it's, I mean, I, and I did know that I like, all right, this is the time to move to LA. So I started making plans to do that. And I was in a relationship at the time and she was making that move as well. Mm-hmm. So it was, you know, it was like pretty clear that that's the next, that's a next step. Yeah. Um, and once I got to LA, I found, oh, there's no fruit, fruit baskets here either. Like nobody is <laughs> like searching you out yeah. to give you work. Yeah. You, you have to, it's, it's fucking cutthroat. Yeah. Um, the same thing happened with me with when I, I was like, oh, I'm a series regular on a TV show that I have this really good, kind of good. I'm, I, I was improvising mm-hmm. with all these celebrities. I was like, wow, I have a good reel for, I was like, this is perfect. And I came out here. I was like, no one right. gives a shit about that. I, in fact, yeah. I've gotten less work and less auditions. <laughs> so I've gotten yeah. much more when in I was. Fact, fuck you. Yeah. In fact, go fuck yourself. Like you're nobody <laughs> and you never were. Okay. So wipe my ass. But it's it's a thing, you know. It's a that happens. This and this happens at all levels too. Absolutely, and, and and if you don't develop the skill to pick yourself up, dust yourself off, and try again, then you will have exactly one failure, right. um, <laughs> and and you and you'll never recover from that one. And I think um, the important it, thing uh, though is is what you do though is like go back to what um, works for you, or like get back in touch yeah. with what you f- enjoy about this yes do you know the white stripe song little room oh uh, yes it's just the it's just the um what's his name is it just like it's just the little short one yes right yeah yeah um but he says uh the lyrics go i just now looked it up uh you're in your little room and you're working on something good but if it's really good you're gonna need a bigger room yes and when you're in the bigger room you might not know what to do you might have to think of how you got started sitting in your little room yes um, to me, that's so, I just love it. I go, I go back to that song and try to remember like, why, why did I want to do improv? Why mm-hmm. did I want to do sketch? It's because it's incredibly fun and incredibly satisfying to make other people laugh. Yeah. And it's really creatively satisfying. And like all the other stuff around it in terms of like dealing with your own failure or looking for opportunities in the first place, it's really, really hard, but it doesn't it doesn't compare to how much fun it is when you actually get a chance to do it. Yeah. Um, if you, if you can like recapture that original feeling. But yeah. It's, right. Right. You, I, I'm not, I'm like, you can definitely lose it for str- for long stretches of time. COVID has been. Oh yeah. That. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's tough. It, yeah. But you have, you have a skill that with COVID happening, um, you still, like, what have you been doing to kind of go to the well? Like, what have, what have you been going back to to, or has it been difficult for you? COVID has been creatively difficult. Also, like, uh, the, the type of work that I do has, uh, like a lot of us, have mm-hmm. been affected by COVID. So, yeah. like, my, the amount of work that I've had has, has dropped significantly. But right. um, in all that free time, I am, um, I'm trying to, like, like I said, I'm, I'm working on these scripts that are autobiographical. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's kind of a good time. 
it's not coincidental that that now is when I'm working on them. I think it is because I've been in therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and also because I've had a lot of time to just sit <laughs> and think about things. Um, and there were, there were some personal things that I was going to like take to my parents and be like, I want to do family therapy and talk with you about our crazy upbringing. Yeah. And then my mom had a heart attack. Oh no. Uh, a stress related heart attack. And her doctor said that she can't do anything stressful anymore. Okay. Yeah. You might want to put <laughs> so, the gosh on that real quick. <laughs> yeah. So I'm writing it. Uh, instead, mm-hmm. <laughs> instead of, uh, telling my parents like, um, Hey, you're bad parents. You ruined my life, <laughs> which that's not what I would say, but that's what they would hear. Yeah. That's right. all they would hear. Yes. Um, so yeah. instead of actually telling them that I am, I'm putting it all into the document and I'm really <laughs> like writing my heart out. Yeah. Like I've, I've never written anything before that was about me in any way. It's all a hundred percent fictional and right. not to be writing about myself. Yeah, your um, characters that you always like, played were so grounded and real and then funny, but could be kind of psychopathic as well. <laughs> you know, like like outbursts mm-hmm. and all that such, but they were so grounded. But yeah, there was yeah. something maybe like I don't know if it was because I was going to ask you your relationship with improv again, where there was maybe some guardedness to play your true self and kind of play mm-hmm. fictionalized versions of you because maybe some of that stuff was too tough to deal with, which is I think. A lot of us sometimes that happens on stage. Yeah, I improv was really a really useful tool for me to help like um, getting out of myself. Mm, it it, it right. was kind of um, it was I'm, I feel really lucky to have found it because it was such license to just be other people on st- like it, it, not even wildly different people, just anyone. Like, because I had been raised so conservatively yeah. and there were so many things that it was not. There's okay so many restrictions. To, <clears throat> exactly. Like, there are so many things that it was not okay to be or think or say or do. Yeah. Um, and improv was like, you know, the exact opposite of that. Yeah. Um, I did feel, you know, sometimes it, I would get very self-conscious about the fact that I was homeschooled and raised so religiously like I, I i oftentimes i felt like people could smell it on me like they could smell the dork on me like drug sniffing dogs and they were going to come say like you're not a, you're not cool enough to be doing improv as yeah. if improv is yeah, yeah. cool in the first place um but after a while i started realizing that the you know a lot of the same stuff that i was embarrassed about or trying to hide or change was it was also what had had those were the obstacles, the overcoming, which turned me into the person I am now. Yeah. Right. right. And you can be thankful to obstacles for making you grow without being thankful to obstacles for being obstacles, um, which is kind of tricky, but therapy has helped with that a lot. But I, it, it feels, it feels, it's definitely weird to be writing about it for the first time and being like, yep, all my little secrets about how, you know, what a weird, you know, little Jesus freak I am, um, is all coming out. I don't know. It's, um, like therapy has definitely helped a lot with, with being able to view those things as, you know, kind of like unique superpowers as opposed to something that's broken. Yeah. Right. Me or or something that I wish had happened differently or whatever. Yeah. You Um, turn the negative into a positive. I know it's cheesy, but it's like, Hey, listen, this happened to you. You can kind of sit with it and just let it take over your life. Or you can just try to use some parts of it that maybe will help your life. And it's such, it's a counterintuitive 
um, yeah. to think like that, but oftentimes it does, it does help. So, yeah. um, I, was there, was there like this need to like get back to improv or has your relationship with that changed? Like where you're like, cause you were so involved in it, you were so, you know, dedicated to it. Um, I don't know how you're feeling about it now these days. Uh, I, I definitely miss it. I don't have the same love affair with it that I used to. Yeah. Um, yeah. where I felt like it was kind of the be all and end all, um, of art. <laughs> Yeah, like yeah. I really did. I really did think that it was, you know, the ultimate form of human expression and and this, that and the other. And yeah. over the years, I guess I just feel like I, I really enjoy it. I like I, I miss it right now with the theaters being closed. I was performing for a while at the show at the clubhouse that I loved a lot. Yeah. Um, it was like a real scene. Uh, it, it still exists. People just meet over Zoom. Mm hmm. But it was just like a real, you know, a clubhouse vibe where people with the same people would go every week. And it, it really, for me, harkened back to like those cage match nights and yeah, and, yeah. and Harold Knight nights that I that I kind of came up on yeah. in the mid zeros. Mm -hmm. um, so I, you know, I, I still like have a good relationship with it, but I it's it's not my main thing. Yeah. And I, you know, there there might be some point down the road where I, where I do more of it, mm -hmm. um, or where it's a higher priority, but I, I doubt it. I think that like I have the, I mean, even though I've been writing for a long time, I feel like now I, I really am dedicated to not just improving my craft, but actually getting shit done, like yeah. finishing scripts, <laughs> finishing scripts and getting them out there yeah. and, so that I have the, the building blocks of this career that I'm trying to build for myself instead of just like, sitting around waiting for it to happen, which is very easy to do. Yeah. I was always so impressed because over the years you would, you would just kind of, even early on, you'd like just put out these really funny videos, like you're editing and like how you did everything. I was just always like, I can't fucking do it. Like he does this stuff so oh, well and man. fast. I'm like, oh. Jesus Christ, I could barely fucking edit a podcast seven years <laughs> later. So, so, but it's interesting that uh. it's, I, I always try to look at like, you know, following up with people like over these last seven years, it seems like you've journeyed into, kind of more of the behind the scenes in a way and, and really worked mm -hmm. on yourself to the point where you're ready to kind of expose yourself a little bit, I guess. I, you know, I feel like that's pretty, pretty on, yeah. like pretty on point. Like I really, yes. Uh, you nailed me, Don. <laughs> I, I do. I have been like really missing that vibe of like, I don't know. Like when, when we met at UCB, it really felt like UCB was, uh, a, a place where things were happening. Yeah. And, yeah, sure. And I, and after getting away from, from that, from literally from UCB, cause when I was out here, uh, I also got on mod mm -hmm. and, and wrote for a couple of mod teams mm -hmm. and like wanted to use that as a way to meet new people, see what's going on in the scene out here, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And then eventually I was like, okay, I've done that. I, now I'm going to go like build my career for myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna like, wow, everybody. And I'm gonna like enter the next stage of my evolution. Yeah. Um, that's kind of the mindset that I'm in. Yeah. Uh, right now. And we'll see how it, <laughs> we'll see how it works out. <laughs> I'll talk to you in seven years, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, thanks. Uh, thanks for following up, man. I, I, uh, thanks for doing this. This was, it was, uh, so good to talk to you, man. We haven't, we haven't chatted in a while and I miss you. And, uh, 
I miss our times together and, and, uh, it was good to, it's good to check in. It's really good to talk to you and good luck with that storm. (laughs) You hear it? Yeah. Yeah, there it is. That was perfect timing. That was Benjamin Apple. Thanks for letting me check back in, buddy. Uh, check out all things Benjamin Apple at BenjaminApple.com or uh, check out his YouTube page uh, for hilarious vids. Benjamin Apple. Uh, he's on Twitter at Benjamin Apple. I'm on Twitter at Don Finelli or at The Need to Fail. Questions, concerns, failure, stories of your own, email me at TheNeedToFail at gmail.com. Uh, all things Need to Fail merch, a.k.a. my one design. Head over to TeePublic. Uh, search the need to fail or mahalo your dreams or check out my socal medias uh, for the link uh, six weeks of sales go get some need to fail gear and why not rate and review the show on itunes and stitcher and tell all your failing friends uh, to do so as well that's it for me here got all new failures coming at you next week thanks so much for listening my name is don finelli mahalo your dreams This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Forever Dog Team and liking our page on Facebook.